Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Today's episode is brought to you by our dedicated supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy the show, please help support us by leaving a review or comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. Kind of sticks in your head, doesn't it? This guy is amazing. There's not one redeeming note. What sort of a lawyer tells his client he's got a case because he's going to live? I've heard that not all lawyers are as ethical as the ones we see on TV. I don't think this guy even has a law degree. One of the guys on TV don't either. I think he has a medical degree. It directly affects my bottom line. Do you have less money to lend? I'm trying to take responsibility. And I'm trying to teach you that everyone is out for theirs. You might as well keep yours. And lend it to you? You have to control everything. How come you're going around asking everyone who you should fire? I'm asking for input. I thought you would have admired the humility. You like games because you can control them. God, I'm gonna put the record back you on. You like what's interesting, never mind if it's real or good. You wanna know why you offered that guy six grand? Life just happens, and that scares the you hell out of me. You think you can cure pain? You think you can avoid pain? You think you're responsible for every failure, every patient's boring life, every friend screwed you up? You don't wanna face it any more than my patient does. Dying's easy, living's hard. Good evening, and welcome to Shadow Scrying, an official spin-off series from the Into the Night podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Charles Litwick Dachson, better known by his pen name Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland and its sequel to The Looking Glass, once wrote, quote, Every story has a moral. You just have to be clever enough to find it. End quote. In tonight's episode... I like to explore the themes and lessons that can be derived from the Finance of Freddy's novels. Finance of Freddy's is most renowned for its lore and continuity, so much so that the fandom will often prioritize what a game would book adds to the lore, rather than what can be extracted from it in a narrative and storytelling perspective. 
But like all art, made by artists of any kind and any medium, there is always more beneath the surface if you know where to look for it. The Fazbear Fright novels, and by extension the sequel series Tales from the Pizzaplex, are no strangers to basing their novellas on dark themes. The very first Fazbear Fright book, Into the Pit, can be best described as a collection of tall tales with the overarching theme of be grateful what you have and who you are, or alternatively the classic trope, be careful what you wish for. In the titular story, Into the Pit, Oswald's main conflict was his father being replaced by a facsimile of Spring Bonnie, fan named Pit Trap. But every resident in town, even Oswald's own mother, perceived the rabbit monster as Oswald's father. However, that is only the external conflict, as the internal conflict arises from his inability to feel gratitude from his current status in life and the provisions and sacrifices his parents make for him. The same story direction is used for the other two novellas. Sarah, from To Be Beautiful, sees herself as ugly and unattractive. She's unappreciated of herself and is too negatively self-conscious of her appearance. Comparing herself to the models and society's current beauty standards and envelops herself in a world of fake people and priorities, made later physical in her body alterations by Eleanor. Millie Fitzsimmons in Count the Ways also is ungrateful for her current status in life, although she frames existence in a naive, nihilistic perspective that being is superfluous in the grand scheme. In the story, Flathead Freddy is a symbol of death who makes Millie aware that she is ungrateful for all she has and if she believes that living is a pointless endeavor, that she is undeserving of life. All this is to say is that there is a pattern of utilizing themes for narrative purposes, often used to be the basis for both the external and internal conflict of the story. Even if the writer did not go out of their way to create a moralistic lesson, a well-crafted character arc of a hero triumphing can inspire people to be better, to become the hero on their own journey. Alternatively, a character who fumbles in their life path and becomes the villain can give the readers introspection on how they can avoid similar errors that lead to a dark, downward spiral. Every story has a lesson. You just have to be clever enough to find it. For tonight, I would like to explore newer entries into the Five Nights at Freddy's canon. Tales from the Pizzaplex, book number two and number three, written by Scott Coffin, Ellie Cooper, and Andrea Wagner. Specifically, we will be analyzing the novellas Help Wanted, Somnophobia, and B7. I chose these three because they all fall on the same thematic basis despite being in different novella collections. You know, part of me truly does wonder if Somnophobia was meant to be in Tales 2, because Haps fits much more cleanly with book number 3's Pressure and Clythrophobia, which are all tales exploring a much darker theme of isolation and social society pressures. Perhaps maybe that would be an episode for another day, but as it stands, in my opinion, Somnophobia is more like Help Wanted in B7, where the character exploration comes from delving deep into the horrors of living a fantasy instead of reality. Before I begin, I should warn those who are listening that there will be spoilers in this episode for Help Wanted, Somnophobia, and B7. If you have not read the Tales of the Pizzaplex book number 2 and 3 and wish to not have the story spoiled, we have a non-spoiler first impression discussion for all three novellas on this podcast. Otherwise, I recommend reading these stories for yourself before continuing. But if you have read these stories or do not care for spoilers, then we shall get into it right after these messages. What does it mean to be alive? 
From a purely logical standpoint, it can be described as having a beating heart and a working brain. From a more philosophical point of view, it could be seen as having a conscience or a sense of self with an understanding of the ramifications of death. But if you're a living, breathing human, conscious of yourself and the inevitable conclusion we all share, is it truly living if you decide to hide from the world and all the dangers that come from it? Reality, existence, and being. It all culminates in the search for and discovery of meaning. Meaning in life is to have a purpose, whether that means discovering something no one has discovered, being a mother, father, or guardian of another generation, or any number of purposes that can manifest in your journey through life to discover it. Sometimes you can follow the wrong path or what you thought was your calling for meaning, but discovered it was not the right purpose for you. But when you do find your purpose and follow it, you find meaning. But to journey means to face the world, and the world is a terrifying place. To face the world means to face criticism, to be tested and to possibly fail, to struggle, to survive, and to strive to be better. To journey means to ask the tough questions. Who are you? What do you want? What do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? Who do you wish to be? Are you choosing what is right? Are you choosing what is expedient or easy? Are you following your own path? Or are you following the path someone has chosen for you, other than yourself? But the most important question, and the question that solidifies every question from before, is are you lying to yourself? Are you lying about your situation? Are you lying about your wants and desires? Are you lying about your beliefs? Are you denying the truth that contradicts your perception that cannot coexist with your worldview? When faced with a trial of life, telling a small lie or telling the truth are not two different choices. There are different pathways through life, two different methodologies of existence. We all know the better way to exist, to tell the truth, but more often we choose to lie. Why is it so easy to lie to ourselves and to others? Because it's an expedient solution. We as humans lie because it's easy, not because it is correct or the most beneficial solution. It's easier to live in a lie, to live in a dream state of existence, to live in a non-reality, to play pretend, rather than fully perceive the consequences of our actions and the impact we have on the world around us. To tie this into Finance of Freddy's, Phasma Entertainment is one of the most ignorantly run corrupt businesses ever written in fiction. Their slogan, where fantasy and fun come to life, is the perfect ironic statement for such a delusional mindset of operating a business. To an almost cartoonish degree of selfishness and greed, Phasma Entertainment will lie, cheat, steal, and in later years kill in order to get what they want. A thriving business where they believe they can take maximum profit without any form of responsibility to themselves and their patrons? As a result of their knowing negligence, almost every single time they try to operate their business with this mindset, it inevitably crumbles. Because the veneer of a fantasy can only support so much before it crumbles, leaving behind only a mess of wasted time and shattered dreams. While we have seen this story play out from a business perspective, Scott, in the latest stories of Tales in the Pizzaplex, may have written a journey to showcase how horrifying living in a fantasy can be. Showcase the journey of the appeal and choosing to live in a fantasy, the addiction of running away from reality, and the pain and suffering you and those around you endure when you partake in a fantasy.
Help Wanted represents the appeal of living in a fantasy. Steve Snodgrass, the POV character of Help Wanted, is well known for being a caricature of the creator of Finance of Freddy, Scott Coffin himself. However, there is more significance to that decision beyond making a fun reference or debunking a theory on a past game being decanonized by a one-off joke in the FNAF VR game of the same name. Steve Snodgrass is a man in his late 40s or early 50s who graduated from a public college and earned a degree in digital arts that has only led him to a career of clean toilets and stocking shelves. Underappreciated and unseen due to a younger generation with much more impressive degrees overshadowing him, he has no immediate family he is connected to, only one close co-worker whom he can call a friend, and an online relationship with a woman he has met in person a total of two times. This is the core of the character of Steve Snodgrass. He is an everyman. In literature, an everyman is described as a character that represents ordinary people, occasionally and including the readers themselves. Scott Cawthon is a man who had never predicted a simple horror game would create an entertainment empire. Both characters are similar creative artists with ambitions, but are still down-to-earth average human beings. Steve more so considering how Scott caught a break and struck lightning through Finance of Freddy's, where Steve is still storm-chasing. From a nihilistic perspective, Steve is nothing special. A man amongst an untold million other men suffering through an unfair and terrible existence. But by looking closer, you notice a spark within him, within all of us, that makes him unique. He has dreams and ambitions to be a game designer, and he's good at it. He wants to develop fun games for children that parents can enjoy alongside them. This is rooted in his own desire to start a family of his own, to be married to a kind and wonderful woman, and to provide for her and their children. He has a clear goal in life, and while that pathway may be an arduous one, Filled with underappreciated hard work, he has found a calling and a purpose that gives him meaning to push onwards, which in turn gives him the energy and positive mental attitude to appreciate himself and the life he has been given. We are all, at one point or another in our lives, Steve Snodgrass. We have motivation, ambition, and aspirations, and while our goals and dreams may change, our desires to find our purpose and meaning in our lives has not been tainted. But the true test in life isn't getting through it. It's not becoming corrupted along the way. One day, Steve is approached by a man who works as a talent acquisition employee for a company called Fazbear Entertainment. The well-dressed man, a literal status symbol of a more appealing and richer lifestyle, monetarily speaking, informs Steve he wishes to hire him to make games based on the rumors of Fazbear Entertainment's past. As a kid, Steve had gone to a Freddy Fazbear's Pizza and was aware of the so-called rumors of murders were far from an erroneous claim. He couldn't bring himself to do something so distasteful and cruel, something so heinous and blatantly immoral, and turned away from the businessman. Steve, at that moment, represents what we would all do when faced with a choice to do something so obviously evil or immoral when our lives are in order. We deny the idea or the offer, because evil is not born. It is made when our lives are thrown into chaos. Regardless of whether it is justified as temporary moral blindness, a human must have their lives thrown off balance to shut off their moral compass, even temporarily. When Steve is matched with a beautiful woman on his dating app, called Victoria, and decides to go on a date with her, he blacks out in her house, only to be reawakened in a home filled with pictures of them together and a wedding band on his finger. He is told that he has married this woman years ago, and they have children together. 
Victoria explains that he'd been in a car accident years ago where he was diagnosed with amnesia, which is why he can't recall any of it. This is, of course, a lie. It all is. But the point is, like all farcicals of the truth, it's that it is an appealing one. Steve's entire dream life came to full fruition, and because he is willing to accept that explanation, even though his inner thoughts are screaming to him that something is off, he is willfully allowing himself to live in the fantasy. When the businessman reappears to make the same offer, never mind questioning how, after a few years of having a family, Fast Entertainment apparently never filled out this position to rebrand their entire company appearance, or the fact that this businessman and Steve himself apparently didn't age at all in those years, Steve willfully chooses to take the job when Victoria explains that they are financially struggling after his accident. Help want to showcases the danger of the little lies. Think of it as indoctrination into non-reality. The little lie, despite in this scenario appearing quite large, was that Steve had lost his memory from a car accident. This is the bait that leads him to believe all the other lies that have come before. He married his dream woman, started his perfect family, and found his purpose in providing for them. The human imagination is capable of drawing up many wonderful alternative scenarios and creative fantasies. On the other hand, as humans, we can deceive ourselves and others into behaving in ways that we know to be wrong. But lying is expedient. Why not twist or distort your perception to smooth reality over, to keep the peace with others who disagree, or to avoid hurting feelings, yourselves, or others whom you love? This is why Steve avoids asking questions about his scenario, such as his family's weird behavior or why it never stops snowing outside. Lying is an expedient solution to a more complex problem, but it is a costly one for your mind and soul. This is manifested within Help Wanted in the nightmares Steve faces in the novella, and his deterioration as he works on his games. When humans act out a lie, when they do something their internal moral compass knows to be wrong, they die a little inside. It produces the same effect on the mind and soul that a drop of poison would have on the human body. It weakens, it gets sick, and it starts to suffer. The biggest lie are composed of a collection of small lies, the small of which is where the biggest one starts. The story begins with Steve being married to the woman of his dreams, and then evolved into a lie about a car accident causing him to lose all memory of the family he started, the children he had, and the work he put into it. For that is the true corruption of lies, misconstruing that your achievements and the end goal are more important than the effort put into reaching them. The horror from Help Wanted isn't the illusion disc or Phasma and Tim's nefarious plot. It is the human capacity of a willful blindness. When the facade of lies in the fantasy a human lives in crumbles, the innate desire to keep the lie alive begins to lead to self-harm and a meaningless existence. This is made physical and how weary and sick Steve progressively becomes throughout the story through his long work hours and night terrors. Ultimately, Steve discovers that everything around him is a lie, but before he can make an escape, he is contacted by a voice on his bedside radio, a voice that is described as a familiar and tempting voice. It speaks, quote, Do you remember when you lived alone in your sad little apartment, working for a minimum wage, trying unsuccessfully to get a game off the ground? Do you remember when dinner was a microwave burrito you ate alone and how sometimes you'd be so lonely you'd go to the bodega and buy something random just so you could make chit-chat with the cashier? Now think how happy you've been 
since you came here. No one had ever had a nicer, more beautiful wife than Victoria. And your adorable kids. You always wanted to be a dad, and isn't it great? Everything you felt for your wife and kids, it was as real as it gets. You just had to give yourself permission to be happy. End quote. The evilest part of that line to me was the final sentence. You just have to give yourself permission to be happy. Believe in the lie. Isn't it happier to live life willfully blind? Not to do what is fulfilling and what has purpose, but to do what makes you happiest and satisfied in the moment. Ignore what you already know to be true and hide away the consequences from your actions. All it takes is one more line, as the voice in the radio says. You tell Steve, quote, make your own reality and make it beautiful, end quote. Right now, Steve's battle is one of reality, encroaching on his fantasy, and that's what he finds most horrifying. All he has to do is press a button, and the lie reappears unchanged. A small price to pay to not return to a reality far messier and harsher than his perfect fantasy. Steve unfortunately succumbs to the temptation and reactivates the device that causes perfect fantasy to reemerge. When he sees Victoria again, despite knowing her to be unreal, he rushes to her and embraces her and presses his lip against her own. And the happiness he feels is so overwhelming that he cannot feel his heart literally being stabbed in the back. Because facing reality is to face consequences. Why not turn away when looking is simply too painful? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Somnophobia represents the psychological addiction to living in a fantasy. Somnophobia's story is most well-known for being analogous to addictive drugs and their devastating effects on the human psyche. The POV character, Sam Barker, is an average student in high school who rarely tries to do things and has a very little in terms of excitement in his life. During his best friend's birthday party at the brand new Freddy Fazbear's Mega Pizza Plex, they save up to buy a strange educational device known as Moondrop's Dream Sphere. The Dream Sphere hypnotizes people, causing them to see things written down on paper manifest into pictures. Hence why students can use it for educational purposes, as they can read their textbooks quickly and have the information become more easily recalled from their subconscious. However, the illusion the Dream Sphere creates is an almost hallucinogenic description of how it alters Sam's and his friends' perception and behavior. The book describes the effect of the Dream Sphere as, quote, At first, Sam didn't feel any different. But in the next moment, a light-headed feeling came over him. He lifted his hand and he moved slowly, as if the air was heavy and thick like syrup. He was aware of his friends, but they seemed far away, as if the room had stretched really wide. Words began to float off the notebooks and into the air around them. The notes transformed from words and numbers into pictures that surrounded them. The ceiling faded away and was replaced by a blue sky and bright, shining sun. 
They were standing on sand dunes with the pyramids of Giza nearby. The sun beat down on them and the heat was scorching. End quote. The Dream Sphere's packaging recommends that the sphere be only used for 10 minutes a day. Sam, however, becomes curious as to what will occur if he goes over the limit. What he discovers is that if he does go beyond the 10 minute threshold, the Dream Sphere will probe deeper into his subconscious and begin to pull memories of his past. In the case of Sam, these memories are of his dead father, taken away early in life from a motorcycle accident. At first, these memories are warm and welcoming as they remind him of the father he loved dear. He even looked through his old things with his mother, happy to recollect fond memories. The next day, when Sam uses the Dream Sphere, he sets the time to 20 minutes. After learning more about his studies in health and science, he experiences a family road trip to an amusement park in the zoo, along with a picnic on the beach and a family movie night. His mother catches him with the Dream Sphere and questions his use of it. And Sam snaps at her and tells her it helps him with studying, and there is nothing to worry about it. That night, he has trouble sleeping, and he has to fight the urge to turn on the Dream Sphere. The next day, Sam feels disconnected and has a hard time focusing. He becomes easily aggravated and detached, snapping at his friends and becoming argumentative against them. With everything reminding him of the Dream Sphere, he jogs home and uses it again for another 20 minutes. Once finished, he feels strangely exhausted and drained, and as he recalls that he made a promise to help one of his friends with some chores, he looks at his mirror and notices that he's pale and his eyes have dark circles around them. That night, his mom questions him again about his behavior and demands him to return the Dream Sphere back to Fesmer Entertainment. Sam responds by once again snapping at his mother, slamming his door, and he turns on the Dream Sphere again. Somnophobia displays of addiction is quite accurate to how real addiction is produced, alongside its effect on mental and physical health. While the Dream Sphere is more akin to a hallucinogen, of which I know very little about, the best comparison for the purpose of the story I can give is cocaine, a powerfully addictive stimulant drug made from the leaves of the coca plant. Cocaine speeds up messages traveling between the brain and body, similar to how the dream sphere speeds up Sam's brain to more easily recall and interpret information. So the similarity isn't without basis, although I know very little about these two drugs. Addiction I do know about, and its danger lies in how it manifests itself within you. It's an alternative voice or personality in your head, that wants to give you an excuse to let go of your self-control. Sam tells every lie in Attic Wood to avoid feeling embarrassed. In addition to lying his mother that it helps him think, he lies to his friends about how much he uses it, and he lies to himself that he doesn't feel worse when he gets over the limit. The reason why Sam lies, however, is quite simple. Fantasy is whatever you want it to be. Reality is messy. Like the voice on the radio has told Steve Snodgrass, make your own reality. Make it beautiful. Reality has its terrible aspects, and in every waking moment of existence, we acknowledge that horrendous things can and will occur. But if we pretend that everything is alright and fail to make the necessary changes to repair our own lives, we have cursed ourselves to an existence of misery. This episode began with a scene from House, the season 4 episode Games, because it encapsulates the entire problem the characters of these novellas face. For those who don't know the show House, House is addicted to Vicodin, an addictive pain-relieving narcotic. House attempts to avoid pain, both physical and mental, similar to Sam's Dream Sphere, through using it. He is quoted in the show to be popping them like candy. House also has a sense of superiority and arrogance, 
which is also a byproduct of believing hypothetically successful lies. He believes everyone is stupid except for him. He believes everyone can be easily fooled except for him. And as a result, he starts to believe you can get away with anything you want, similar to how Sam believes there will be no consequences to his extended use of the dream sphere. Both of them, at this point in their lives, life becomes a miserable state of existence, where everything becomes frustrating and disappointing because it isn't pleasing as you imagined it could be. It isn't pleasing as the fantasies you live in. Somnophobia's display of addiction is predicated on the life Sam wished he could have, the reality he wishes he was in, instead of what reality he finds himself in currently. The fantasy that his father will be there to make his graduation, the fantasy that he will sum up the courage and confidence to stand up to his friends teasing, the happy ending where he's able to ask the girl out to prom and she says yes. Similar to Steve, the fantasy is appealing, but it is not real. No matter how much you wish it could be, these things can only manifest and have meaning once you have put the work into achieving them to become part of reality. A person who cannot separate the fantasy they wish they had from the reality they are in may become addicted to the joy they find in their lie that they can no longer face the world as is. Despite knowing this fear was harmful to him, Sam decides to use it one last time before returning it to his friends. He begins to experience another hallucinatory vision, the most fantastical one filled with his deepest desire. But he quickly panics as he realizes that he never turned on the device. The hallucination is happening naturally. Eventually, he lapses into a coma, forever trapped in his dream state, going on fake adventures of his own making. Sam's final lines end with an almost ominous sense of satisfaction at the outcome, despite understanding what has become of his mind and body. While he was at school in his dream, his best friend's dog, Brutus, was attacking him in reality, tearing his face off. As the pain begins to swell, Moondrop appears and all the terror fades away. Quote, Moondrop had a smile on his face, half of it hidden in the shadow. The jester waved, the bells on his wrist chimed, and then Sam went very still. He let go of the sink and stood up straight. The terror disappeared, and he felt completely calm and at peace. He turned to smiling Moondrop. Everything's fine, Sam said with wide eyes. Moondrop turned to walk out the door, and Sam followed to see what new adventures they would create together. End quote. Despite the risks, Sam chose to use that dream world again because he couldn't part with it. As I said before, why not turn away when looking is simply too painful? When reality is brutal, bloody, and messy, isn't it easier to be willfully ignorant and pretend like nothing is wrong with your life? Betraying yourself, believing in things untrue, and acting out a lie or living in a fantasy propagated by a lie weakens your character. By weakening your character, you will feel inadequate or unworthy of existence. Likewise, you'll hide away in the fantasy that offers itself as a different perspective than the ones you're currently suffering from right now. That siren song of fantasy is the voice of the devil that created those lies you believed in. The ones that lead you to your willful ignorance, your weakening of character, and your feeling of worthlessness. So you have nowhere else to go back to except into its arms. For misery loves company, but lies and addictions make for charming conversationalists.
B7 represents the horrors that humans inflict on themselves by living a fantasy. B7 is one of my favorite stories in the entirety of the Finest Freddy's universe, and the reason I wanted to make this episode. It's unique in that its horror comes from how the story does not rely on the usual tropes associated with FNAF. The fear and horror do not come from something supernatural, like the dream sphere. Nor does it come from something out of science fiction, like the illusion discs and help wanted. The story is down to earth, and only briefly alludes to it taking place in the world of Finance of Freddy's, which I believe to be intentional, both because the story's horror is premised on how we as humans can hurt ourselves, and others without acknowledging the pain, but also a final conclusion to the dark moral theme of rejecting the world and reality. A story like this could not be misconstrued or fabricated through a supernatural lens. The horror needed to be authentic, and for that reason, it needed to be real. The story follows Billy, a five-year-old boy who likes to watch the show Freddy and Friends, when he was three, he experienced a medical emergency that made him isolated from his family for a period of time. But now, while watching the show as five years old, he started to like the idea of being a big animatronic, as they're strong and don't feel bad things like people do. During a commercial for Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, he started to act like an animatronic, and his parents laughed and humored him. The next day, he pushes one of his friends for calling his behavior stupid and gets put into timeout, because he's still acting like a robot. He sings the entire time since he wasn't turned off by the teacher. This continues for weeks, then a few months, then a few years. The horror in this story comes from how much pain Billy inflicts on himself and on his family through his delusion. And make no mistake, Billy is suffering from a delusional state. Billy's mental state and his mother's unending wealth of kindness become the makers of a ticking time bomb that we all know will go off. Billy begins by drinking oil because he knows that's what robots drink, obviously. He sleeps in a basement on a steel table, as robots don't sleep in beds. He additionally only wears plain gray and black clothes, and only eats food that is also white. Something about how robots are unable to digest color, I don't know. His father, after four years of playing pretend in his son's fantasy, watches in horror as his son becomes more antisocial to students and other kids, he sees his mental health only deteriorate and is super stressed out and has to watch his wife endure that same stress. He wants to make the decision to institutionalize him so he can get professional help. Billy's mother will not allow it, as she doesn't want to let her baby boy go. But his father can't simply watch his family, the love of his life, and his beloved son slowly waste away in misery and suffering. So... He decides to leave. The story is primarily told through Billy's point of view, and his vision and description of himself and the events around him is the very definition of willful blindness. It's subtle, but it can be summarized as a cascade of easy rationalizations. He is a robot, Billy states, so his mother asks how he can grow and get bigger like a human boy. His answer? He is a very advanced robot, therefore he is capable of doing that. Willful blindness is the refusal to acknowledge something that you should know or could know. To rationalize the pain you're feeling isn't there. There's no skeleton in the closet or no gorilla walking through the group of students. Or to pretend that your mother's death doesn't hurt like hell. Near the end of the second act of B7, 
when Billy reaches adulthood, still fully believing he is a robot. His mother commits suicide. Billy displays no emotions and calmly calls a please, because to him a robot cannot display emotion, so he cannot be sad that his mother is dead. When lies get big enough, they corrupt the world. As I said before, it all begins with the little lies. But these lies are followed by a distorted way of thinking to rationalize the lies. To avoid the shame the lies produce, create a few more lies to cover up the consequences of that distorted viewpoint, then rationalize those lies from a more skewed perspective, soon the process becomes a self-fulfilling automated process of lies and misery, until it will all eventually crumble down as actions predicated on falsehoods always fail to produce the intended result. A year after his mother died, Billy experiences cognitive dissonance. He believes he's an animatronic, but still feels human-like sensations. As a result, he decides that all his limbs must be replaced with prosthetics in order to become fully animatronic. All the surgeons he calls refuse, naturally, but Billy eventually finds a surgeon who had lost his license due to malpractice lawsuits involving unspecified substances. At first, the doctor begins with removing his arms and legs, replacing them with metal appendages, which Billy hopes to make him feel faster and stronger. However, he ends up feeling slower and weaker. Instead of thinking a mistake, he believes more procedures must be done to make him more robotic. He has metal plates implanted into his cheeks to be more angular. He has his eyes dyed black. He has his tongue removed. He talks through a vocal synthesizer implanted in his throat, which he uses by typing into his computer. He shaves his head and he cuts off his ears. Have you ever heard the wrongfully attributed Albert Einstein quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? If you're lucky and you fail, you try something new. You move ahead. It's prudent to make small changes in order to see if they will help you. But to be willfully blind is to make changes in order to reject reality. To accept reality is to accept your problems, and the only way to fix them is through hard work and sacrifice. But if you reject the truth for a long period of time, and you make changes to keep your rejection of the truth up, then you risk running up a large debt to reality. In the case of Billy and his delusion of being an animatronic, for the case of Steve Snodgrass and the family he never had, and for the case of Sam and the adventures in life he never lived. All these fantasies, all these lies, all these illusions, they are all stories they tell themselves to make themselves feel better. A momentary period of bliss to smooth over reality and to become willfully blind to their problems. The thing about stories is, they all have endings. On Billy's 21st birthday, Billy, now referring to himself as B7, looks in the mirror and is tormented by the sudden realization that he is not actually an animatronic. It has completely ruined his life. The flood of repressed emotions and feelings overwhelm Billy, and he lets out a huge wail. When he calls the doctor to ask the procedure can be undone, the doctor apologizes and wishes him good luck. He contemplates a moment for walking to a junkyard in the middle of the night, through an opening in the fence, and he gets inside and falls asleep in an old station wagon. When he wakes up the next morning to vibrations, he sees the car he's in is heading towards a compactor. Before anyone can see him, he hides and waits to be crushed. Despite his excruciating pain, Billy feels happy as the blood reminds him of his true self.
In conclusion to these stories, is there a lesson to be taken away from these horrors? Truthfully, I believe so. Because while these stories are filled with torment and misery, the anguish is so horrific because we understand it is pain we inflict primarily on ourselves willingly. This pain can be easily avoided by following a simple guiding principle in life. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Seems basic. Not quite the profound takeaway you may have been expecting, but simple matter of fact of life. See the truth, tell the truth. Truth will not come in the words of opinion shared by a figurehead or a collection of slogans, ideologies, or idioms. Your truth is something only you can tell, based on your unique circumstances in life. Perceive your surroundings and who you are carefully and communicate it in an articulate manner. Doing so saves you a lot of time, a lot of unnecessary anguish, and it keeps your soul, your moral compass, and your entire being withering away and dying. And who knows, maybe not just you, but the whole world will become a lot more hopeful and optimistic if we all told the truth, if we were all honest, if we lived in reality, instead of wasting away in a fantasy. I, I personally can't get over B7 and how good it is. Despite the premise being kind of a goopy one, I mean, a kid believing they're a robot. <laughs> oh, how ridiculous. <sighs> but I believe this is a good time to conclude our episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter at Fazbear Podcast or supporting us on our Patreon using the link in the description. Patreon members can get access to every episode of Into the Night early and ad-free, as well as exclusive episodes and behind-the-scenes exclusive content. You will also get Discord member benefits, which you can also all join by using the link in the description. This has been your host, Nick, and I would like to thank you all once again for listening. Have a good night. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.